Hey, guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Project A Plus. My name is Hunter. I'm joined today, as always, by... Hugh. You mean another exciting season of Project A Plus? Oh, yeah. Uh, season season three. Uh, this season, we're going to conclude the search for Bellow. Um, we're going to do that a little bit later. Uh, we got a great episode on the docket for you today. First, we're going to, uh, in honor of the recent release of Star Wars Episode Nine. The Rise of Skywalker. We're going to talk a bit about, about that film. And then uh, in the Project A Plus fashion, we're going to rank all the stars. Maybe get some thoughts about them, about the general general feelings towards Star Wars in, in general, 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 grievous. We'll probably come <laughs> up at some point. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's all there is to it. Uh, so we're going to hop right into it uh, by discussing uh, what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. You have me asking, where are all the great bits that we're known for? Like, uh, um, the Breakfast Club, uh, where we talk about yeah, breakfast. Wheels on, Wheels on Meals, Police the Story. Well, uh, the good news is, I, we haven't discussed this, you, but uh, I'm going to uh, just say that we're cutting all the stupid bits out in <laughs> season two. In season three, I mean. Uh, so, uh, of course, the only one that's going to say is Burn Hollywood, Burn the Best Bit. <laughs> no, no. We're going, it's season three, back to basics. So we're just going to have our review, and then we're going to do bonus features at the end. Wow. And I'm also going to tell you about the uh, the end for The Search of Bellow. Wait, we have not agreed to these changes. <laughs> well, oh, you're agreeing to them now. <laughs> you can't just say them and make it so. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna um, uh, stonewall you, just like my uh, the great general Stonewall Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she's like going to get shot by my own troops. Um <laughs> Uh, if you try and uh, stop me from making these changes. <laughs> All right, good. Good intro. Great. Okay, so uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, I you know, I assume that most of our audience, which is to say you and me, have seen Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. But... Which is to say 100% of you and me yep. have seen yep. The Rise of Skywalker. Um, but just in case someone accidentally clicks on the link because of uh, storage engine optimization or something like that... Um, Let's let's go into a little bit about the plot of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, shall we? All right. Okay, you. Uh, well, I've got I got a big surprise for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. The dead speak. What? If Palpatine's back. Palpatine? You mean the guy who died at the end of Return of the Jedi? Yeah, he's back and. And he's speaking apparently. Yeah. Uh, and he sent out a message that you don't actually see in the movie about that if you wanna. Listen to you can tune into the great video game Fortnite. Interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, no spoilers, motherfucker. So uh, our heroes um, from the previous uh, two movies of the trilogy, uh, the Jedi in training Ray, the mm-hmm. uh, flyboy um, Poe Dameron, whose name I keep on forgetting for some reason. Poe Dameron. It's not that forgettable. Yeah. I keep on wanting to say Oscar Isaac, but I know that's the actor who plays him. Mm. Um, anyway, so Poe Dameron and Finn are kind of separated. Ray is training under the guidance of, uh, the, uh, how do I put this? The, uh, compiled from leftover footage, um, Princess Leia <laughs> and, uh, Finn and Poe are on a secret mission to do something. Um, Made and a Kylo Ren the villain of the previous two films, or one of the villains of the previous two films, has been instructed or told by Palpatine, or the Emperor, if you are a purist, that if he uh, ex- dispatches of Rey, 
you'll be given a fleet of Super Star Destroyer things. Probably not actual Super Star Destroyers, but some sort of magical Star Destroyers that have planet-destroying beams on them. Yeah, so that's about the long and short of it at the beginning. I am having trouble remembering the exact sequence of the plot, but basically the good guys get back together and they realize that Ray has accumulated this, or not Ray, that, that Kyron has accumulated this power and Palpatine's back. And then they go off on a race to uh, stop him, uh, which involves collecting a lot of different uh, <laughs> crystals and uh, daggers. Like, kind of like if you're playing a Star Wars themed adventure game uh, <laughs> that they need to uh, combine together in order to open up the passage to the mystical planet of uh, Exiga, is it? Uh, Exegol, I think. Exegol, sure, sure, sure. Um, and uh, that's basically the movie. Um, or will there be cameos from um, thought dead members of the cast and members, people who were in the original trilogy? Sure, there will be. That's it, I guess. That's it. That's the end. Yeah. Yeah. Of the saga, of the podcast, of our lives. All right, so, Hugh, um, uh, you you were not a particular fan of Star Wars The Last Jedi, if memory serves. I was not. Uh, but you did. Uh, you are a, a, a dumb nostalgist. So, if I remember correctly, you were a pretty big fan uh, of The Force Awakens. Uh, and I remember you specifically saying that you're kind of excited that J.J. Abrams is back to uh, to take things in his uh, uh, direction of of dull competence. Is that about right? <laughs> hey, don't don't tip your hand. I'm not tipping my hand. If there's one thing that I found this movie, uh, it's not dull, which I guess is tipping my hand, but in a different way. Okay, so so let me let me let me. Uh... Let's do let's let's do one of your patented. Uh, a ramble misdirection things before I get to yeah. my actual opinion. Yeah. 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 Um, so, let so me... I was going to wait, let's just pause. So I can take my headphones out. <laughs> All right. So let me just uh, correct you a little bit. I wouldn't say I was like a big fan of the force awakens or a pretty big fan, but I enjoyed it enough. I thought it yeah, was... but that's cause you're, that's cause you're a small, small child. That's right. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, fearful of of how the force awakens would turn out and i was kind of pleasantly surprised that it was as enjoyable as it was mm. i also enjoyed the first awakens i should say which isn't to say i think it's it's like a great film but i think it's a it, it's a pretty decent entry i think the last jedi i i was i was sort of like i, I don't really care anymore about this whole jam so i was kind of exhausted at the end of that <laughs> the movie brought you back into the star wars fold the Rise of Skywalker. A, li- no, a little film called Solo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush too much. I exited Rise of Skywalker with a, a similar feeling to the one that accompanied my exit from The Last Jedi, which was mm. some mixture of weariness and mild disappointment, even as the experience of watching the film was, you know, entertaining enough, I would say. And even as there were bits and pieces of the film that I thought were impressive in their own way. Mm. I, I didn't think it was better than The Last Jedi, certainly not, but nor did I think it was worse. Um, That's funny. Most of all, I'm just relieved this this whole fucking thing is over. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, it's, not, it's never going to be over. Well, I mean, at least at least this core trilogy nonsense Yeah, is okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. They're the never core saga is it. over. Yeah, of course it is. 
Just give them 10 years. But yeah, I mean, this isn't a particularly good film, mm. I would say. But I, I think the biggest issue with the film is not its goofy retcon decisions that has uh, led to quite a large amount of ire on the internet. But I think the biggest issue is, is its structure. I think it just falls down on a basic mechanical level when it comes to pacing. Mm. The film doesn't ebb and flow. It just, it just flows. And even its best moments are sapped of strength and resonance as a result, I think. Mm. I, 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 you really just needed a pause for breath after the opening action montage business. Or, you know, a pause for breath at any point. At any point, movie. yeah. And I think that would have made a huge difference because it just keeps churning and churning and it doesn't seem like there's an especially good reason for it. Yes, there's a, there was a lot of ground to cover to conclude this saga, but a lot of that ground is condensed into the third act. And for a huge chunk of this film, as you've alluded to already, we're planet hopping, solving puzzles. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of funny, but, you know. So that sounds like something you should have enjoyed. And there are, there are other issues as well. With, with the characters in particular. But uh, I think the main disappointment for me is that it just didn't quite work as a satisfying blockbuster. Your your bro, your bro JJ, couldn't um, bail you out. No. Mm. What did you think of it? Well, Q, I, I, uh, I think we've... I, I've, I've talked about my love for Star Wars The Last Jedi on this podcast before. I don't need to rehash my feelings, I don't think. Not yet, not until we get to our list. <laughs> yeah, and then, I'll, then I'll rehash everything, maybe. Uh, but, you know, I uh, I was pretty trepidatious walking into this movie. Uh, I hadn't read reviews, but enough people had tweeted things and stuff. And even though I tried to keep myself unsullied, uh, the fact that I was seeing it, you know, a little after it, advanced, after it had been released, and uh, just the fact that it's hard to block everything on Twitter meant that I, you know, was kind of set up for a disappointment. And uh, I'll say even within that bound, I, I had some hope. You know, I, re- I, I like the, the Force Awakens. I think it has some really well-executed action sequences. Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting uh, them to walk back a lot of the stuff in The Last Jedi just because, I don't know, like so many fanboys hated it. And I feel like if Disney does anything uh, at all, they um, cater to people who they perceive to be their fans. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I was kind of expecting them to do that. But... Um, uh, you know, I was at least hoping they would find something compelling to replace what I think are the interesting choices that they made in Last Jedi in this. And I must say that uh, I did not find it to be that much to be compelling at all during this movie. Uh, in fact, I thought of it, a lot of it was subcompetent, which is surprising, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it just felt really rushed and kind of incomprehensible. I don't know why... Uh, on one hand, it's like um, this movie feels like it could have used like another hour to explain everything that happened, right? But on the other, nothing really happens in it at all. So there's <laughs> a really weird attraction to it. Uh, I think that bringing back uh, uh, the Emperor is a totally stupid decision. <laughs> uh, and I mean, even though I, I love the guy, I, I love Palpatine. <laughs> we'll talk about this later. But uh, I, he's not a compelling villain in this film. Uh, you know, it would have been a compelling villain. Would be, it would have been Kylo Ren, but uh, they decided to walk a different path with him. Um, I just think that every plot decision just felt so hollow and uninteresting to me. Um, basically, the only character who... I mean, Ren and Ray are the only characters who have some sort of arc, and their arcs don't really make that much sense, especially out of the context of the other movies. Hmm. Um, 
and Finn and Poe Dameron are basically just garbage to be discarded. Uh, I, I was really put off by the way they, they treated uh, Rose, who's a pretty major character in... Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. And, I don't know, the way that they sidewinded her, not to get too, like, um, uh, you know, SJWE about it, but uh, it did really feel like they were reacting to the fact that fanboys didn't like her. Uh, kind of, and, you know, a lot of that ire sprang from racist grounds, so great job, um, uh, Lucasfilm at Disney, uh, giving it to racists. We should say that, remember, they did come up with an excuse for why she is sidelined in this film. Oh, oh yeah. They blamed it on the technology. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really understand. I, I feel like I read it, but I just didn't understand why. So, okay, so what they said is that they intended uh, Leia to have a bigger part in this film, even knowing that Carrie Fisher was dead. But my, my question is, it's not like uh, Leia and Rose were intimate in The Last Jedi. So. No, no, but they were like, we just need someone important to be with Carrie Fisher I, to support I, those I, I disagree. Uh, the, those scenes, every every scene that Carrie Fisher is quote unquote in is terrible. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> it, 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 it really feels like they had some footage that they used of things she said, and they wrote the script around that footage. It all sounds so awkward. Uh, there's a there's a queer shot that they reuse from The Force Awakens. This <laughs> whole whole hog, um, and that was just awkward and terrible. The, re- the movie really should have opened with her dying. <laughs> mm. I think. Um, or have her get killed in between movies. That's that, that'd be Leia fine. Is with me. Dead, I don't, I don't exclamation care. mark. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be better. Um, and yeah, I think this film is kind of an embarrassment. Uh, and I'm I'm somebody who's pretty easy. I'm not easy to please when it comes to Star Wars, I guess. But you know, I like most of the Star Wars movies. You know, if I if I if I hear a blaster noise, I'm gonna like it. You know, but. I don't know. There's just something so hollow about this film that really made me not interested at all in it. It reminded me of another uh, Star Wars film that we're going to talk about in a little bit called Rogue One, which mm. I simply feel is nothing. Uh, and uh, I just didn't care at any point, really. Um, and when I did care, I was angry. There was one scene that I almost died laughing during, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, so your little spiel about why you didn't like this film has actually made me like it more. <laughs> <laughs> uh... And I'm going to rank it above above Last Jedi, just to spoil my Fuck rank. you. <laughs> you can't. You, you're, a, you're an asshole. And I'm not just being spiteful. You are. When I told you that my dog had died a couple weeks ago, <laughs> all you could respond to is with, with horrible, mean jokes. So. Well, that's because you were, like, trying to, trying to engender sympathy after, like, trashing the dog and saying you hate dogs just, in general. And so it was because of this one dog. Just so the listeners know who they're dealing with. Right now. A dog hater and an insensitive prick. Uh, you are. Anyway, anyway, I'm not just saying this to spite you, honestly. Like you, you are. I mean, I am. Okay, we've established that. I am as well. But, like, because, like, I have to find some enjoyment in these films. And I think the enjoyment I have now, because I don't care anymore, honestly. Uh. The enjoyment I have now is this weird beast of a trilogy that we've that we've been given, this this Frankenstein's monster of a trilogy that we've been given. I mean, I really don't understand why they just weren't just like, okay, JJ, make three films. I don't understand either. I, I, I was unsure from the, the get-go why, they, like, why, why they did that. Why didn't they just get Ryan Johnson to make two? Well, they, no, the original plan, remember, was three different directors, which was bizarre. Yeah, which is so dumb. 
And it wasn't like, you know, Lucas style where it's like overseen by someone who's basically controlling. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of, it kind of was in that like Kathleen Kennedy was, well, I mean, that's what, that's what the, that's what I think the pitch was, but I don't know how much control she actually exerted over it. You know, it didn't quite seem like Kevin Feige level creative control no. to me. No, 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 definitely not. But I think, I feel like that's why Lucas was willing to sell it in part or Lucasfilm in part to Disney because he assumed that Kathleen Kennedy would have control over the whole franchise. I mean, I don't know, like, the extent of her roles or the... I mean, I'm sure she has a lot of say about the direction of these films, but she did seem to give a lot of leeway to J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. And Ryan which I guess should be committed to some degree, right? Mm. But I think it was just a strange decision to go... I I think we want three different directorial voices on this trilogy. Well... Ryan Johnson was supposed to write um, the third one, too, I thought, initially. Oh, really? Because obviously after, uh, what's his name? Uh, Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow uh, did Book of Henry. They're like, I'm to get this guy out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I, I kind of wish they had just gone full ahead with him making it, though. Wouldn't that have been great? That would have been even better, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's kind of like The Force Awakens was enough. It was like, here's the injection of nostalgia. It's it's made quite stylishly. You got, you got fulfilled. Here's some nice new characters, whatever. But I don't care beyond that film about mm. their journeys or their arcs or where it's going to go, right? Yeah, I, I guess I can uh, get that. So, so now what I'm enjoying about these films is the fact that you do get JJ being portentous and whatever and nostalgic in the first one and being JJ. And then Ryan Johnson taking the baton and going, now I want to take it in quite a different direction and kind of subvert some of this stuff that we take for granted about Star Wars, right? Mm. And then JJ going, no, no, I set all this stuff up. It's a mystery box and I want to solve the (laughs) fucking mystery. So let's just forget that other film. Yeah, let's forget that other film. And then you have this kind of mess at the end. So that kind of makes it interesting to me. And I enjoy it on that level that you get this like weird journey that is not a satisfying trilogy by, by any stretch. No, I think people who, who like really liked, uh, force awakens didn't like last Jedi. People who like last Jedi certainly won't like rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Like me, for instance, people who like force awakens also probably won't like rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Because it's pretty bad. But they're making excuses for it, and the excuse is, oh, there should be a longer JJ cut, and he was, you know, cruelly... Uh, That's so dumb. ...foiled by the higher-ups at Disney or whatever. Which is clearly not the case, I mean... No. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, obviously there's some, like, corporate inf- interference in this, but JJ seems like someone who's just willing to go along with what the studio wants, you know? Yeah. Too. And also, you can't really change the rules now, like, the... They have a set duration, and this was already long enough. Yeah. This was two hours and twenty minutes. Like you can't just suddenly go. No, it has to be like a three-hour endgame style thing. That'd be great. I, I would know if it was just like, okay, this is gonna be as long as um, I don't know until the end of the world. Four hours the movies. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I, I don't think it would have helped. No, I don't think it would either. It should just be at thirty minutes, <laughs> because the the stuff that's like padded or the the parts about this movie that feel rushed is just padding anyway. Yeah. Because it's just them, like, running to different planets and getting artifacts and I don't know what else. Um, but can I talk about the part that I, I thought I was going to die from laughing? Mm-hmm. So there's a moment pretty late in the film where um, Ray and Kylo Ren have, uh, so I guess this is a spoiler, but who cares, um, have made it or have, they basically joined forces. Kylo has decided he's not going to be a bad guy anymore. You know how it goes. 
after Leia heroically goes under a blanket <laughs> and vanishes, uh, he decides he's going to be good. So Ray and uh, Kylo are, uh, you know, they go to Exiga, uh, Exegol, and they confront Palpatine. Palpatine's like, Ray, you're uh, Palpatine, and if you kill me, you'll become a Sith or whatever. Who cares? And then, uh, so I, I, I don't really remember the exact mechanics behind it. It's, it's pretty incomprehensible. But um, basically, uh, Palpatine is like sitting in his bizarre like, <laughs> uh, medical chair. <laughs> and I gotta say, Ian McDermott looks like shit in this movie. Obviously, it's part of like their makeup, but he just looked really pale and sort of weak. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of wonder how how that guy's how how that guy's doing. Mm. So eventually, Kylo Ren and Rey are fi- about to fight the Emperor, but then he uses Force magic to get them like paralyzed in front of him, right? And this is the part where I sort of died, right? Mm. Which is that he starts zapping them with this like Force suck beam. <laughs> <laughs> It's like sucking the life out of him, and he's just like muttering completely <laughs> incoherently about them being like something. They're they're a pair of the floors they're or something dyad. like that. Yeah, uh, thank you. They're a dyad, and ah, oh, that makes me oh, the power is even more. And he's just sucking the life out of them, and then he like cuts to his hands, and they're like they're like bone hands, and they start growing back flesh. And there's something about that sequence of events where he's just, like, rambling while he's doing this. That was so funny to me. <laughs> it, was so, it was so dumb. Uh, another part that I thought was really funny is when they, quote-unquote, kill Chewbacca. That was so stupid. Oh, that was great. That was amazing. But there was an extremely dumb fake-out where it's like, oh, no, Ray pulled up the transport back, and it killed Chewbacca. It's just like... No, he's on another transport. We're not going to kill anyone. Don't worry. So when it first happens, I was like, that's not a bad idea if she has to be Palpatine. Like, that's not a bad way of dealing with it. Yeah, that, that's a better that's a better uh, way of doing it than they do, which is just dumb. Yeah, so I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. She has this, you know, moral culpability, right? And uh, that's her dark side escaping, and then she has to transcend that or whatever. But, like... They don't even hold for like a beat before they reveal. Uh, it's it's like it's like it's like five minutes before they're like Chewbacca's actually alive, guys. Don't get mad at us. I feel like that moment is sort of like it might have been something that Disney told them they couldn't kill him. Maybe, but I don't know why. Like, who cares if they don't make another movie like about these characters, which I'm sure they will in like five years. Um, then why does it why does it matter if they kill Chewbacca or not? <laughs> Well, that, the, the funny thing is, like, you think you need a sacrifice in the final film, right? And we do. We get we get the the Kylo Ren sacrifice, which was predestined. That was never not going to happen, right? Also, Leia dies too, but also that was predestined. Yeah, yeah. But then we get we get two other setups. We get Chewbacca, which is immediately you know undone, and we also get C three PO getting his mind wiped. Yeah. But then that comes back. So not even that like small sacrifice. He's had his mind wiped before. It didn't matter really. Not even that small sacrifice is allowed to happen. Actually, I, I the the part in um that you're referencing to Revenge of the Sith is actually pretty fucked up, and I enjoy it. Well, because they don't dwell on it; they're just like wipe his mind, <laughs> and then they move on. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's great. But we'll talk about uh that in a little bit. Um, yeah, I thought this film was extremely unsatisfying. Uh, I really thought the uh, epilogue was so dumb. Hmm. Um, I really hated the part. I mean, obviously you didn't care because, again, you're not a, a Last Jedi proponent, but where um, she goes back to Act 2 or whatever, and then uh, it's like, oh, remember how Luke threw the lightsaber away? Well, now he's going to catch it. 
I mean, and I don't know what 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 happened between the two movies where they're like force uh, force ghost technology just got like really cheesy looking. <laughs> I swear to God, it's better in like Return of the Dead Eye. Yeah, he had like kind of an obscene blue outer glow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought the moment where they talk about uh, him training Leia was also so stupid. Hmm. Well, and, and the fact that they went against what they said in the pre-publicity and actually did a de-aged version of yeah. uh, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Which looked um, fucking which, terrible. <laughs> I, swear, I swear to God, I mean, I haven't seen Rogue One since it was in theaters, but I, I swear to God, the one in Rogue One looks better than this one does. It does. This didn't even look like her. <laughs> no, I mean, the, but it, to be fair, the, the one uh, of Luke also didn't look like Mark Hamill. No, so. uh, but at least it had, like, you kind of recognize it from, like, the chin dimple. Yeah. So it yeah, had yeah, that. But- but that was, was but that's that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird because like obviously Disney has done some really great like face uh, young eating technology in the past. I don't understand why they didn't, didn't like you know share the same technology they used to like Captain Marvel. Well, it's also it's not based on performance capture from Carrie Fisher. It's just presumably yeah, just. But I mean, you don't generated. you don't need to do that. Why don't you just use a again a, a JPEG of her face and. And fucking Empire Strikes Back or something. Yeah, you you, you probably could have done a, a deep fake pretty easy. And she doesn't say anything. Half the time she's just like, uh, uh, has a helmet on. Like, who cares? But anyway, again, that's another thing that makes this hilarious. Like, it's a mess, the way yeah. JJ tries to undo everything. And the way they try and find room to have a new revelation or whatever with the Palpatine nonsense. The way they try and integrate deceased Carrie Fisher into this film. The de-aging stuff. It's all kind of hilarious to me now. Yeah, this this one was kind of like a. Uh, I bet mean, I would enjoy it more watching it freed from the burden of expectations. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, it, it is kind of a catastrophe. I mean, I I was hopeful as as you said earlier. I was kind of happy that J.J. Abrams was returning. I think he did have a lot of style in the way he executed those action scenes in Force Awakens. Yeah, he did. And where where was that in the in this movie? Because there's nothing like that, like, none of the action scenes really felt that interesting or good to me. No, and it's, it's hard for me to say, like, were they just not good on a technical level, or was it just the pacing problems that made you not even notice what was good and what wasn't? Yeah, I, I think I think that there's none of them that, or if they had lingered a little bit on them more, because obviously the, the um, you know, the opening of The last or of uh, the Force Awakens is that great, like, scene with the Millennium Falcon that's, like, really well done. Yeah. And But that, that scene, like, is, like, you know, it's like a third of the movie, basically, mm. right? And it's like a culmination of all these different like threads of the plot. Well, there's nothing that that lasts that long here. And there's bits that I thought I should enjoy, but yeah, I just didn't feel like I got the opportunity to enjoy what what he'd done, which was like you know Ray jumping around the ruins of the the Death Star. Like that's kind of a good idea. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. But I didn't feel it. <laughs> I, I thought the fight between her and Kylo Ren was okay. Yeah, that's kind of the only action scene I really enjoyed. I like the bit where she, like, flipped over the uh, TIE fighter, but that was in the trailer, so I can't really... Yeah, that was really good as well, but again, that got lost in the mire of, of this film. Yeah. Um, and that, that felt like... That, that was, like, the one moment where I was like, okay, this is kind of well-paced, you know? Hmm. But uh, the rest of the film is just nothing. It's just, like... Uh, also, like, the way that they integrate... I feel like the way that they integrated the other old cast members was pretty, you know, pretty do- well done in the other films, right? Hmm. Um, I mean, maybe it's because it was, like, based on, you know, what Lucas had written to some degree. Yeah. Um, but the way that they put Lando in here is so bad. My favorite bit, though, is the ending. Oh, with, with her, him and his, 
So we should quickly explain this. They set up a new character, which is an, a new ex-stormtrooper yeah. who has a change of heart, who's like a parallel to Finn. He's like a Finn love interest, but they didn't even do anything with that, which is dumb. Because obviously, obviously, Rose should have just been his love interest, because that's what the last Jedi is setting up. Yeah, but then at the end, um, she meets Lando, like at the Rebel base when they're celebrating or whatever. Yeah. And Lando, basically, the way it reads is that he's openly hitting on her, and it's really bizarre because he's obviously like three times her age yeah yeah but apparently it's supposed to be an intimation that he might be her father yeah as as uh, revealed by the visual dictionary and the context of that is just not in the film (laughs) it might have been at some point where's the jj cut that's (laughs) all i'm asking (laughs) but like the fact that the the they decided against like contextualizing that is so hilarious to me because it just looks like he's a sleazy old man and it's a really bizarre note to end his character on not altogether unfitting but bizarre and um a really bizarre end to her arc as well in this film i mean she doesn't really she's not really a character at all so no no but it's a strange like she gets introduced she's on the poster she's kind of part of the ensemble for a while and that's the end point it's like getting hit on by lando I mean, it's so funny. I compare this to the end of Return of the Jedi, which feels like so definitive, right? You know? Yeah. Well, there's obviously like places for them to go if they wanted to make more movies. This movie, this the conclusion of this film doesn't feel like anything at all. Because <laughs> I mean, part because it's just reha- them rehashing uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, right? To some degree. Mm. Um, but also because like I don't know, like there there is no the the arc is so self contained that it doesn't really feel like the characters have, like, changed or learned anything or the universe has really changed that much either, you know? But there are problems that were, like, baked into this trilogy from the previous two films that it's kind of difficult to find a way of ending this. Like, if we just think about the character arcs, first of all, yeah. I think is a big problem. They have character arcs in The Force Awakens, right? So let's talk about, I think, one of the biggest issues is is the way they treat Finn across the three films. But he has a... He has a decent arc and introduction in in The Force Awakens, right? I think his arc is pretty good in The Last Jedi. We'll, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. So in sure. let's just quickly track this and then we'll realise what sort of J.J. Abrams has decided to do. So in, in The Force Awakens, he goes from being a, a, a stormtrooper who has a change of heart to being like a hero with the, with the Rebel Alliance or whatever they're called, the Resistance. The Resistance. Um, that's, that's a full arc, right? And that's fine, but then where does he go from there for the next two films? He's already transcended his past. You know, I feel like his arc in The Last Jedi is him uh, only caring about, you know, his friends, right? And then yes. it's him growing to, like, care about the resistance as a group, right? And to look at it, I mean, it's kind of, it's like mirrors the um, stuff that happens in on the planet with the little boy. It's like him learning to care about something other than his immediate friend circle right and like care about like the downfall of the first order or whatever but like yeah i mean i I do want to give ryan johnson credit for attempting to give them somewhere to go from the force awakens and obviously poe just didn't have a story in the force awakens so yeah he's a he was uh, he was designed as a supporting character who got yeah too popular, kind of. His arc is pretty... I mean, you know, he has a, a character arc in The Force Awakens, or The Last Jedi, and he just does not have one in this movie at all. <laughs> and neither does Finn. No, Finn, Finn's got nowhere else to go. Because well, I guess once he's learned the lesson from The Last Jedi, 
Now he's definitely 100% a hero. Yeah, and then, uh, but it's it's weird that they don't even, like, have any conflict or to overcome or anything, really. No, he just runs around shouting Ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they do all that dumb shit where he's like, I, got, I gotta tell you something. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yet another thing that, uh, to learn more about it, you have to look outside the film itself. Mm. Uh, which is, I mean, I feel like that the thing that if you watched the Force Wickets, uh, you would have assumed, also the last Jedi, is that there's some sort of romantic um, desire in him for Rey, right? But, on contraire, what J.J. Abrams revealed post-film is that what he wanted to tell is that he was Force-sensitive, <laughs> which is pretty dumb. Which he, I guess you get, you, get it, you get into the film itself, but who cares? Also, I love the idea of like that being your dying words. Yeah, I'm about to get sucked into quicksand, and that's it. I'm going to die, and i got to tell him. She should have gone, yeah, how's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Poe just does, does like nothing in this movie at all. Yeah, they introduce like him. They go back to his like home world or some shit. But who cares? That that that's that whole sequence is such a like filler, like garbage. <laughs> I was that was the part of the movie I really checked out. It was just like bored because it's not like it's not like it's like that poorly done, but it's just not interesting in any way. Like, it's mm. not even like a catastrophically done too, you know. Ray kind of finishes her arc by the end of the Last Jedi, right? And then it's it's just a matter of just getting better at Jedi shit, even though she was already pretty good at it. But I, feel, I still think there's a way you could do it that's more interesting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I don't, I, I really don't like the idea of excusing this film just because of, like, you know, oh, the, the task he was handed was so complicated and so hard to do. Like, fuck that. I mean, you could, you could say the same thing about Ryan Johnson and, and The Last Jedi, right? And he obviously was able to make an interesting arc out of that character in that film. But what I mean is, there's been a lot of criticism against J.J. Abrams for undoing stuff from the last Jedi. And I think as a counter to that, I can kind of understand why he wanted some place for Rey's arc to go to give some sort of satisfying revelation in the final installment, right? Because otherwise she just, she's already learned everything about her past. She's just going to be a good Jedi fighting shit in the third one. I mean, I don't know. And also the fact that clearly this is what Abrams wanted in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I definitely think that he shouldn't have just he should have just taken up the challenge that the last Jedi yeah. presented. Instead of just being like, "Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be like, oh, I was gonna write whatever what I wanted to do in the original A and not and basically just ignore the last Jedi." Yeah, I think like you can just like skip it, skip watching it. <laughs> I feel like there's now, now there are two endings to this to the franchise. One is if you don't watch Rise of Skywalker <laughs> and you just accept the last Jedi is like sort of a open ended, like you know, uh, philosophical ending. Honestly, the last Jedi does work as an ending. Yeah. And, or you could re, you could just skip the last Jedi and go straight to Rise of Skywalker and not miss anything really. <laughs> uh, it's it's its own dyad. Is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I just feel like I feel like a big problem with this movie too is that there's like this rush to introduce new characters, which I really thought was like so strange. Yes. Not only do we get the ex stormtrooper woman. Yeah, his name is like Janna. Don't know. I think. I don't know. They say her name like twice. It appears that she's introduced for the sake of Finn, right? Yeah. But they don't do anything with that. No. Um, then they set up we'll go, what okay, what's Poe gonna do? We'll give we'll give him <laughs> We'll get we'll give him a woman. <laughs> give him a woman as well. We got we gotta make sure that they the, these characters are straight. Definitely not gay, not gay. No homo, no homo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're we're joking, but that's that's kind of what it feels like. But it it is so strange that like 
I mean, maybe there's like an intimation of romance between between these characters, right? But it, they never make it explicit. Mm. <laughs> so it really does feel like, you know, maybe in a few years, they'll realize that it's okay and that they can just date each other. Honestly, I mean, that would great. that is kind of the only way of fixing the problem of those two characters in this film. Yeah. Uh, with Finn and uh, Poe is to make them end up together. And it kind of feels it kind of feels like that is what the film is saying, but it is too cowardly to actually put in the text. Yeah. Because at the end they they're, they're kind of all alone at the rebel base and they kind of gesture yeah. towards the new women they've met, but they don't really want to know them. And they end up just, you know, embracing each other as friends. Yeah, or or if they wanted to continue, I mean, obviously he was loath to do this, but you know, they could have just made Rose and Finn have a relationship too. <laughs> yeah, I've read that Babu Frick is the best part of uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Do you, do you concur? I liked the puppet. It was a good puppet. It was a okay. It was an okay puppet. I feel like the problem with me watching it is it was, it's so close close in proximity to having the Baby Yoda puppet on the Mandalorian, and they're basically the same thing. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I don't want to have these cute, stupid, fucking puppets. And then they introduced another. Like, cute droid. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was stupid, too. <laughs> Voiced by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> that that part felt very much like an adventure game to me, where it's like, you use kindness on the droid, <laughs> and therefore you unlock the schemes to go to Exegol. I'll say, I'll say there was one part where I was legitimately excited is when the Ewok showed up for three seconds. Mm. But I was disappointed because when they mentioned Endor, I was like, I want a lot of Ewok action, not just a shot. They, they should have, instead of having those stupid stormtrooper rebels or whatever, it should have been fucking Wicked who takes them to, to the Death Star. Exactly. That'd be great. <laughs> bring back Wicked. Hashtag bring back Wicked. I mean, apparently that was Wicked as one of those Ewoks, but who knows? It was, it was Wicked because that, that's how it's credited. But it did not yeah. register as being Wicked to me. No. I guess they tried to make him look old or changed his uh, sash or something. All right. Well, uh, have we exhausted Rise of Skywalker? Do you have any other juice you want to suck out of it? Nah, I think that'll do. Okay. So let's move on on to our Star Wars rankings, our official rankings of the Star Wars movies. We're not going to just going to do the Skywalker saga. We're also going to include the uh, other Disney Star Wars movies, which are Solo and Rogue One. Yes. Uh, but we're going to exclude the Ewok television movies. And also the Clone Wars movie that was more like a TV pilot than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what am I? I'm just quickly making my list now. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, so I'm professional. Have you done yours? Yep, I did it yesterday. Actually, did it a while ago. Are we going to do a combined list? <laughs> yes, we are. This time it's easy to combine. So. <laughs> yeah. It's not 268. Did you, did you combine the 268? Did you make a No, I didn't even look at that again. <laughs> so, how did you prepare for this list? Um, I just thought to myself, what Star Wars movies do I love the most? And I ordered, it, ordered them in that way. So you didn't do any research? Uh, I've been mired in work on my thesis, my graduate school thesis, which is due on Friday. So, no, I did not. I guess I guess I I did watch the last Jedi a couple weeks ago. So, whereas I I of course did the research. I did the hard yards. I watched all the films. Oh my god! <laughs> except for Solo and Rogue One because I couldn't be stopped. That's commitment right there. Anyway, we'll see how we go. Should we go from the bottom up? Yes, as we always do. 
I feel like we can say number 11 in unison. Okay, ready? Yep. Three, two, one. Rogue, Rogue One. One, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, um, the equivalent of awful in movie form, I think. Awful. In that it's dis- it's hard to look at and it's stuffed full of shit. And uh, I, I, I can think of this, this movie just feels like nothing. It just is nothing. It and the fact, the, the, the mere fact that it exists annoys me. <laughs> uh, because who cares really about them? Um, you know, taking it a, a premise as a, of, of a throwaway line that no one should give a shit about in in A New Hope and and, and expanding that into a whole movie. Ah, yes, great. And then also making it totally inconsequential, which I feel like, as opposed to. People, a lot of people uh, like the fact that they kill all the characters at the end of this movie. Um, whereas I was like, that's just them like being like, oh, we don't have to make anything else with this movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's such a redundant film. In contrast to Solo, which which is also somewhat redundant, I'll, I'll concede that. But at least it's like, wouldn't it be fun to see what Han Solo was doing before Star Wars? I mean, that that's there's something there, right? There's more, there's more space there, yeah. Whereas like... Wouldn't it be fun to see how they got the Death Star plans? No? <laughs> like, literally, who gives a shit? With characters I've never heard of. <laughs> and also, that are totally undeveloped in any interesting way. And the worst thing was the people who liked it, because they were like, this is Star Wars as a war film. It's like, oh, uh, so dumb. who wants that? <laughs> um, I mean, Star Wars is a shitty war film. Yeah. Maybe sure Star Wars is a good war film, it'd be okay, but... Anyway, that's Rogue One. It's terrible. Also, I, I feel like unlike Solo, and even unlike The Last Jedi, I mean, not The Last Jedi, uh, Rise of Skywalker, this is the film that feels most like a corporate po- product. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, unlike Solo, which had a similarly, and this is why I, I think that, I mean, obviously, you know, you can blame Disney or and Lucasfilm and whoever else for the failings of Rise of Skywalker because they're complicit to some degree, right? But I feel like you can put the failure more on J.J. Abrams then you can put it on uh, Gareth Edwards or even the other guy who came in and wrote scenes for this film, you know? Hmm. Because, you know, obviously this film feels like it's two different films that have been, like, welded together, you know? It just feels so incongruous, and, and, and it totally makes the film uh, devoid of anything that is interesting, <laughs> the way that they they did it, I think. And also that neither of the two films that have been welded together seem like good films. <laughs> no. That is true. Um, all right. So, uh, that's, that's our, uh, and that'll be, uh, probably on the combined list too, our number 11, our combined number 11, Rogue mm-hmm. One, a Star Wars story. Uh, number 10 for me? Yeah. It's tricky, because I'm, I'm already second-guessing myself. <laughs> I mean, feel free to write the list I've got. Number 10 for me is Rise of Skywalker. Mm. Do you hear something funny? Mm. Number 10 for me is also Rise of Skywalker. Mm. Which, for, for which reasons, we just spent an hour talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, not that great film. No. All right. And I, bet, number I, bet nine nine, nine, I bet number nine is where our list starts to diverge. I could be wrong. No, I think we can say this in unison. <laughs> okay. okay, ready? <laughs> Number nine. nine. Three, uh, two, one. The last Jedi. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So why don't you uh, you, you take it away? I mean, we already we already talked about the, your feelings towards the last night to some degree. So I don't know if we need to rehash it. I'll talk so. about the main things I I dislike about it that I haven't mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so first of all, I don't care enough to be excited by the subversion of my expectations about the world of Star Wars. Right? Star Wars is is what it is. So. I don't, I don't, I'm not invested enough to, to appreciate what he's trying to do. And certainly a lot of the sort of goofy attempts to, to subvert tropes, I think fall flat, even if you like what he was trying to do. For example, there's that whole section that, uh, even some people who really like The Last Jedi don't always defend the, the Canto Bright, Canto Bite stuff Canto on the casino. Bite. Love it. Where we basically just get Rose sort of lecturing Finn about financial inequality in the in the galaxy Love it. and Love it. profiteering about Love it. <laughs> that falls flat. For you. And the other thing that they, they do this whole thing with Poe, where they introduce Laura Dern's character, who annoys me first of all because she has dyed hair. And that's like a lazy sci-fi trope of other sci-fi franchises, not Star Wars. Star Wars was always better than that in its design. And, and you're like, she looks like an SJW. She doesn't look like anything. She just looks like a woman with, di- with dyed purple hair. It doesn't look like Star Wars to me. It feels like really out of place. And like, she's not really a character. She's just there to fulfill a role, to take down Poe a peg, right? I do, I do want to be clear. I'm not accusing you of doing this, but I remember once I was talking to one of my friends about The Last Jedi... And we're talking about Rose, and he was like, "How? Why would there be Asians in space?" And I was just like, <laughs> "What are you talking about?" So uh, that's my rebuttal to you. <laughs> we'll get to that. Hasn't she seen the prequels? New Gun Ray. <laughs> no, those are okay because they're they're stereotypes. Um. Uh, anyway, so we so we have that. What's her name? Holdo. Yep. Holdo. So what, what Ryan Johnson seems to be doing with that is like, let's not take this flyboy culture for granted in Star Wars and just assume that the hero is always going to be right about everything. They, they can walk over all these other functionaries in the Rebel Alliance or the Resistance or whatever. And it, it seems like a, a really dodgy, um, I don't know, my criticisms will kind of match like anti SJW people, except my main problem is that they undo it immediately. Because what happens in the film, which is insane, this is like insane, is that first of all, he disobeys um, Princess Leia, General Leia, at the start of the film. He gets demoted from general to captain. Then he has issues with Laura Dern. He tries to mansplain to her, and she's like, no, nah, go away, flyboy. Then he decides to mutiny, right? He uh, helps organize this mission with Finn and Rose. They go off to the casino. There, that whole mission that, you know, um, Poe has enabled leads to the destruction of like 99% of the resistance. It achieves nothing. It destroys their entire forces, right? Net negative effect. And then a moment later, we have an exchange between Laura Dern and Carrie Fisher where they say, one of them says, I like him. And the other one says, yeah, I do too. He's got spirit. He's just destroyed 99% of our forces. And then they let him lead uh, heroically at the end of the film. 
So <laughs> it mean, undoes everything about that storyline. It's insane to me. At, at, that, at that point, who else was there to lead, really? Related to this is that whole stretch of the film where we have Finn and Rose going around in this casino. And that le- ends so darkly for everyone. <laughs> Kate, I don't know who you're talking about. I mean, about. it's a choice, I guess, but... <laughs> it's like, it, it, I don't know, it, it kind of makes it hard to re-watch when you know those sequences lead to absolutely nothing. And they, they not only do they not achieve anything, it actively, like, destroys the entire resistance. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what level it does work on here as a, as a character level. I know that's beyond your, uh, you know, you, you, you enjoy things purely on a narrativistic level, so I understand. Yeah. But I will also say, like, I like Rose when she's introduced because I think the only interesting thing about these new films is the way that they resonate with the idea of remix, cosplay, fan culture stuff. And that's kind of part of the film. Like, that's Kylo Ren's character. Is he's a Darth Vader fanboy. And he's kind of cosplaying as Vader with, like, an emasculated version of his helmet. That's kind of an interesting choice. And I think that's kind of the only way to do these films if George Lucas isn't involved, is to make them about Star Wars fan culture in a way, about our relation to these films. And I, I think that Rose is actually a good embodiment of that. And that first scene between her and Finn I think is good. But then when it just becomes her lecturing him at the casino and then somehow she's in love with him at the end or whatever, I, I think she's kind of given a short shrift. I think she deserved better than that. Certainly better than what JJ ended up giving her in the third one. That could have redeemed it somewhat, but obviously that didn't happen. But there are good bits of The Last Jedi. I think it gets better towards the end. I like some of the things it tries to do, not so much the execution. Number nine, The Last Jedi. What's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Solo, a Star Wars story. Mm. A... Um, it's totally fine if pretty forgettable film. In fact, I've forgotten most things about it. I can barely tell you anything about the plot at all. <laughs> so that's about it. <laughs> My number eight is the film Solo, which you just mentioned. Uh, what, what, what reason do you have for that? The same reason as you, mate. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure if it's better or worse than The Last Jedi. All I can tell you is that I had a more positive experience in the cinema at the end of Solo than I did at the end of The Last Jedi. Because I didn't go back and rewatch Solo, so I don't know how it holds up now. But I did rewatch Last Jedi, and held up about the same. <clears throat> I enjoyed Solo when I watched it, but I have no had no desire to watch it at all. <laughs> no, I didn't want to watch it again either. That's why I didn't, even though I had access to it. So <laughs> that should say something. But anyway, there it is, number eight, Solo. It's fine. Okay. Uh, my number eight is another fine. Or sorry, another. Uh, Okay, this is if the if the three editor films that are uh, two of them are bad, one of them is fine. Uh, now you get into films that I actually like, I guess. Mm. Uh, which is my number eight is Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Mm. Um, just yeah, pretty competently done, I think. I I think the uh, action scenes are pretty well done. I mean, I dislike all the J.J. Abrams like you know mystery box plot stuff, um, but. I don't know, it's pretty functional as just a blockbuster, I think. More than I can say about The uh, Rise of Skywalker. Hmm. I feel like if I watch it again now, having come to appreciate um, or rediscovered my love for George Lucas, I probably would not like it as much. <laughs> but, I don't know. My number seven is The Force Awakens. Hmm. And uh, I did watch it again, 
and I was actually surprised that it still holds up quite well. I did, wasn't expecting it to hold up after the initial like relief of watching it the first time has faded, mm. when you were kind of just happy that it wasn't much worse, right? Mm. And it certainly could have been. I think I think it's because uh, Abrams, for whatever reason, is is it feels like a more competent filmmaker in the last in the Force Awakens than in Rise of Skywalker. He certainly does. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's because the script is written by someone other than him, at least mostly. Well, yeah, like the, a cast is involved. Yeah. I think Lawrence cast it, actually. Indeed. His son wrote the wrote Solo, right? Well, he and his son both wrote Solo. Which maybe why that film was competent, too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they should have brought him back for uh, Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Just a suggestion. Yeah, I mean, maybe they know something about story structure and pacing. Yeah. Um, and then I think, I think that, I think, I mean, not to step over your feelings about the force tickets, but it does feel very functional, you know? Yeah. So people talk about it as being unoriginal and like a spin on, or a clone of A New Hope in terms of it's the story it presents. And it is basically a remix, right? Yeah. But it's a good remix. It's a yeah. really well done remix. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I think the, the thing, the thing about that criticism is, is, is denigrating like, you know, remix culture, right? Yeah. Which you could have very good remixes of things. So I don't know. And I think, I think the strength with JJ Abrams is often in the casting. Yeah. And I think he did a great job in that first film with John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Oscar Isaac, and uh, Adam Driver. I agree. There's a freshness to it. There's energy to it. And that's what he always brings when he is starting a franchise. And by always, I mean the last time he did that in Star Trek, which was the best bit about the first Star Trek film even if the rest of the film isn't great. I think Force Awakens is a better film than the first Star Trek. I feel like Adam Driver is the real MVP of the, the sequel trilogy. Yeah, he's great. I mean, not so much in Rise of Skywalker, but he does what he can, I guess. No, no. <laughs> I mean, his role feels like the worst to some degree. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Harrison Ford cameo in, in Rise of Skywalker. I feel, yeah, actually, I wanted to mention that because I think Harrison Ford's performance in Rise of Skywalker is better than... In The Force Awakens, which I was a bit... Maybe it's because he didn't have to be in it that much. Yeah, he just had to do one scene. But I thought he yeah. actually... Even though I... Like, not to say anything about whether I think that scene is any good or not. But I think his performance was actually surprisingly competent. Uh, it did It did not affect me at all, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> but just because I'm used to latter-day Harrison Ford being kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was the last good movie besides The Force Awakens that he was in? I mean, he's not like he's not like totally great in the Force Awakens, but at least he seems like turned on to some degree. He's okay, yeah. Probably because he was given the ability to die and not be in Star Wars anymore. Yeah. Um, God, his like his like la- I mean, people talk about like Pacino and De Niro's like last decades being terrible, but what was the good like last Harrison Ford movie? You'd have to go back a while. I mean, we could do that quickly now. <laughs> people like uh, people like um, it's not like he's been in that much, but people like uh, or I guess like uh. You make an argument for um, Keaton with the Crystal Skull, I guess. No. <laughs> I haven't seen it since it was released at theaters, so. Did you like it the first time around? I, I think so. But I was like, I was 14 when it came out, so, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, he was pretty good in, in Blade Runner 2049, actually. That was terrible. You did, so you the like last it. good film, definitely <laughs> not Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Ender's Game, terrible, probably. The Secret Life of Pets 2. <laughs> yep. The Age of Adeline? God damn. Like, The Fugitive is maybe his last good movie. (laughs) (laughs) The Expendables 3, Anchorman 2, Ender's Game, Paranoia 42, Cowboys and Alien, 
Morning Glory. <laughs> Holy shit. Extraordinary Measures, Bruno. I didn't know he was in that. <laughs> he has a, he has a, I remember his cameo vividly in Bruno, actually. I've never seen Bruno. It's, it's uh, not that great. I can imagine. <laughs> yep, Crystal Skull, Firewall, Hollywood Homicide, God. My parents had a VHS tape of Hollywood's Homicide. I always remember thinking of it. It was like a film that I thought of as an, as an adult movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, not a porn film, but like a film that you watched when you were an adult. <laughs> K-19, The Widowmaker, What Lies Beneath, Random Heart, Six Days, Air Force One might be... That's not a good movie. It's okay. Maybe it's not. No, it's, no, it's not. Um, the Devil's Own, Sabrina. <laughs> Some people like that version. I've seen it. Clear and Present Danger is one of the Jack Ryan films. Philip Noyce. Jimmy Hollywood. Jimmy Hollywood. The Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci people. and Christian Slater. <laughs> this sounds great. Barry Levinson. And then it's The Fugitive, yeah. So maybe The Fugitive is his last good film. <laughs> I mean, just to be clear, Blade Runner 2049 is his last good film. So maybe The Fugitive is his last good film. <laughs> I feel like he just stopped giving a shit. He's not really in that many good films that aren't, like, decent action blockbusters. Ah, uh, Blade Runner. He's not really in many good films that aren't... Like, decent action blockbusters. That's not an action blockbuster. But it kind of is. Like, it, it, it kind of fits in the world of sci-fi. And I mean, it, 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 seems, it seems like it would fit in that, that mode. It's not like an action But the object is, is different, but. yeah. I mean, yeah, what's his... Does he have... I guess, like, Witness is a serious movie, and so is Mosquito Witness, Ghost. Witness, yeah. American Graffiti. <laughs> the Conversation. There you go. Oh, yeah, and he's also in Apocalypse Now. Mm, okay, so, that's true. You know, I, I think we can both agree Harrison Ford is a great presence, but uh, he's not been in that many good movies. No. Um, so he's called Colonel Lucas in Apocalypse Now. Do you reckon that was a nod by uh, Coppola to the fact that Lucas might have made Apocalypse Now? Well, he was supposed to make it. Like he, I think he had a pre-production. And that Harrison Ford was associated with Lucas? Um... I don't know. I mean, maybe because I mean, it came out after Star Wars, so presumably, and after why. American Graffiti as well. Yeah, yeah. Goddamn. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, our Star Wars list. <laughs> what number are we on? I was talking about The Force Awakens. Which number is that for you? Uh, number seven. But I will just add, and this is the reason I still rank it higher than The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Not so much I care too much about the story stuff or what what either are doing there. If I'm just looking at it on a filmmaking level, I think he handles the Star Wars universe and the action within it more exuberantly than um, Ryan Johnson manages. Disagree, but we'll talk about that later. I think Force Awakens is surprisingly beautiful in spots, and a lot of the action sequences are really well staged. That's how I feel about The Last Jedi. And there's a slight flatness to The Last Jedi in comparison, even though I think Johnson does a pretty decent job. Under the circumstances. I disagree, but we'll talk about that. What is your number seven? My number seven interesting. is a little film called... <laughs> this is where my list really uh, reflects my own character, I think. Mm. And I have to preface this by saying, I love this film, but it is my number seven. It is uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> 
which I think wow. is, I mean, obviously because it's ranked there, is the weakest of the original films. Obviously, mm. it's great, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to justify, but there's just something about it that feels a little, um, I don't know. I feel like uh, Lucas isn't that great of a director, at least not in this film, and it really mm. shows. Um, obviously, there's there's great things about this movie. The design, the the uh, it's all great. I don't know what to say, but there there's enough things that are clumsy about it that I think. I mean, a lot of the clumsy things are is are charming, <laughs> but uh, I don't know how to phrase this exactly. I just feel like the the world of this film, this film is when I watch it as itself is is less interesting to me than as a part of the larger universe. You know what I mean? Mm. So I feel like if this film, if, if if A New Hope just existed as Star Wars, there's only one Star Wars movie, I probably wouldn't uh, value it as much as I do. Mm. Um, and Maybe you think reason, there's a, a, a creakiness about it yeah. as a first outing. And perhaps. that, I mean, again, that creakiness is incredibly charming. Mm. Um, but I think that compared to all the other Star Wars movies that are above this one, uh, I just prefer, I just like it a little bit less than that. So there you go. All right. What's your number six? My number six is the Phantom Menace. Mm. I also forgot to, to mention, not only did I rewatch, uh, all the nine films of the core saga, but do you know what I did last night? No. And this is not a few days after having watched the whole saga last night. I made the important decision, which is reflective of perhaps my lifestyle and perhaps my mental state. Your way about uh, lifestyle. I made the crucial decision to watch the prequels again back to back (laughs) until four in the morning. Uh, I don't know why you would do that. What do you mean? You're with me. You're with me on the prequels? Come on. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not with you on the prequels if you're going to rate the fan of it as that low, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, yeah, but I, I'm the same as you. Basically, from the top six, I would say I love all of them. Wait, wait. So, Phantomus is your number six, right? Phantomus is my number six. Oh, do you know it's also my number six? Mm-hmm. The Phantomus. <laughs> there we go. So, we can both talk about the Phantomus. Yeah. This, I guess this has maybe a similar creaky quality to A New Hope, yeah. but in the context of the prequel trilogy where yeah, Lucas is kind of finding his feet. And this is the... Bear in mind, this is the first film he had directed for like 20 years. Yeah. So that kind of <laughs> makes sense that he was kind of uh, rusty, I guess. But there's still there's so much to like in this film, even still. I mean, it has probably the best lightsaber fight in any of the Star Wars movies. I agree. Yeah, I agree. That Which holds the, up uh, The Darth Maul, the uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, and... Obi-Wan Kenobi fight. Yeah. Which is great. And I think Liam Neeson is really good. Yep. I think uh, Ewan McGregor is also good, but you think he gets better as the prequels go along. Yeah, he's good, but he gets better, yeah. Um, We've discussed this offline, but I guess for the podcast, um, I think Natalie Portman has a difficult role in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. For one, the the fact that Lucas makes her put on this ridiculous sort of strangled British accent whenever she's supposed to be the queen. And then also she has to wear this... Or at least for some of the movie, this horrible kabuki makeup. <laughs> I like the makeup. I like the costumes. I do. So. I do too. But I feel like it would be really hard to act in them. Yeah. Um, I think I think a problem with this movie, and 
I mean, I don't know. Obviously, the Jar Jar stuff, you could, it's, I don't, I don't dislike it, but it, it is, like, problematic on a racial level, obviously. Yeah. But it is charming in its own way, I think. Especially the transition, then we do get, like, a neat transition between alien species from the sort of pseudo-Asian stereotypes yeah. of the, the, what are they called? The, um... The Trade Federation, Trade Federation dudes, yeah, I don't know. What whatever. They're, they're Nimoy. We transition Nimoy, that immediately Nimoy. to the Jar Jar Brinks. Yeah. Potentially get, offensive get, yeah. stereotype. And then, and then you get one more. <laughs> and then we go straight to Watto. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that any of this was conscious racism on, yeah. on the part but, of but we can, Lucas. We can just, but he's we can like... This, is that, I mean, all the Star Wars movies do this to some degree. It's just not as, as visible and... Yeah, this is movies. the most... Most egregious, Because, you know, like, obviously what, like, Chewbacca symbolizes is, like, the, the native, like, you know, buddy that, that, uh, in, in the old serials that Lucas loves so much. He's basically mm. Sala, you know? It's just this, like, racism is more submerged than it is with the, yeah, the Gungans and, and the Nemoidians and yeah. Watto. And Watto. Um, yeah, it's like he's just, he's reaching back for, like, character tropes from old serials and old stuff without really thinking about the problem with those tropes. Anyway, it is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) To quote the Irishman. I I said the most difficult part of The Phantom Menace, and I don't want to rag on Jake Lloyd because I don't think it's his fault, but it is Jake Lloyd. (laughs) Yeah, he is is pretty bad. It's It's funny. If you watch some of those webisodes about the pre-production of this... Yeah. There's a, there's a sequence where he's casting Jake Lloyd against other child actors. And there's another child actor who is more competent and mm. more child actor-ish than Jake Lloyd. But they decide to go with Jake Lloyd because, you know, <laughs> he's got more life in him or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> whatever deranged thing Lucas thinks. The problem is, like, he's not, he's not a great actor and it's no. not his fault. He's like a five-year-old kid or whatever. But he also he also has that horrible American child actor vibe, yeah. even still. That's true. And it's not even offset by child actor competence. No. <laughs> it's kind of an awkward mess. He's okay when he's not speaking because he like seems like a kid, and yeah. he, and he kind of fits the progression from him to Hayden Christensen to some extent. Yeah. But like the the line delivery is a problem. Yeah, I agree. And but obviously, obviously, we can put the blame for this on in in Lucas's direction too. Yeah, the, yeah. I don't want to rag on Jake Lloyd. It's not his fault at all. He's cast by somebody, and he's yeah. a kid. He does his best, and it's Lucas's job to get a performance out of him. That's whatever. And now, obviously, this is what Lucas wanted. So yeah, it's Lucas. Um, I like a, I like a lot of this set, and, and this is you know getting into the. Very, we're like splitting hairs at this point for this film, but I like a lot of the set point pieces in the Phantom Menace. Mm. Uh, but I don't really like the sequences. I don't really, I mean, beyond the racism, I don't really like the Gungan sequence that much. The underwater CGI stuff with the big fishes and everything looks great. That holds up really yeah. well, surprisingly. But it just feels kind Some of, of the like... CGI um, really does hold up. It, it just feels kind of unnecessary, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think the pro- this is a problem that I kind of... I think it realized the first time I saw it Mm. because I was so built up to love this film. Um, The expectation levels were like off, off the charts when I was a kid. I mean, just to be clear, I did love this film when I was a kid. And, um, and I had basically read every scrap and seen every photo in relation to the, the Phantom Menace before seeing it. So I knew all the set pieces that 
were coming. Mm-hmm. And I remember, even though I convinced myself I loved it for some time, mm-hmm. there was a level of disappointment when I first saw it because it felt like, okay, they've done that bit. Now there's that other bit coming up that I've seen in photos. And it kind of yeah. felt like that. Like it's, it's kind of the experience of watching a film's trailer too many times. And then you're just waiting yeah. for the trailer moments. Like, like um, lurching from set piece to set piece. Yeah. A little bit. I think that is a little bit of a problem that the film does suffer in that some of the connective tissue isn't so great. Yeah, yeah. And there's like an early scene around the dinner table in um, Anakin's house, which is the most awkward ensemble dialogue acting moment of the entire saga, I think. Mm. <laughs> um, and it almost grinds the film to, to a halt, but the, it, it gets better after that. The pod racing sequence holds up really well. Yeah, because obviously you can see, like, Lucas is really turned on by this. Like, it's him exploring something that's been his obsession since, you know. Yeah. Like, since his experimental films, basically. And the the, the CGI of that, because like, a lot of it's CGI mixed with some model work. Yeah, it looks pretty it's good. It's amazing. It's, it holds yeah. up really well. Yeah, I agree. I think both the lightsaber battles are really strong, actually. Like, the one with Qui-Gon and Darth Maul and the, on Tatooine 2 is also pretty good. Yeah. I mean, even it's pretty brief, but it's still enjoyable. And I like, I like the role that Darth Maul plays in this film, too. Yeah, you know? me too. Because like, it feels like, I mean, obviously people were like, oh, why is he doing it more? But I feel like he is just like the right about a threat to, to motivate the film, right? And it's not like he'd be an interesting character if you explored him further. Like, he's yeah. just... But I mean, he's just trust like me, you can, if, you, if you want them to explore, looks if you want cool. to explore him for, you can read a bunch of comic books and watch the Cold Wars. Watch the Clone Wars, yeah. Yeah, and, and Star Wars Rebels, because he's in... He's in and a, Solo. God, that's, that's my favorite part of Solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so inexplicable when it happens. Because <laughs> imagine just being a casual Star Wars fan and you're like, wait, didn't that guy die? <laughs> like, who cares? Uh, I do really like the part where he gets cut in half. Um, so in right. conclusion, The Phantom Menace is great. Yeah, I agree. Five, All, all the original trilogy films... Get uh, all the I'm sorry, all the original six films get five stars for me. I just want to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so uh, I, I know that our number fives are going to be different. So do you want to go first? Yeah. This this was tricky for me, and and it's mm. never been this close before. But my number five is Attack of the Clones. Mm. And not to spoil where I was where I'm ranking Revenge of the Sith, but I think I already have. Um, maybe I'll talk about it when I get to Revenge of the Sith to some degree. Okay. Um, well, my number five is The Last Jedi, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, uh, I just feel like is, is basically, it, it's probably my favorite, like, blockbuster film that's been released in the last, so it's basically the release of Revenge of the Sith, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think it's really well done, I don't know what to say, it just, it just, everything about it feels right to me, and I know that's not really a, a thing that be, could be quantified, but, I don't know, I just feel very attached to this film, for reasons I can't quite explicate, but... Uh, I just feel like it just works on every level for me. Uh, that's it about is, it. It is blasphemous to rank that above The Phantom Menace. Well, I, Phantom already, Menace is I already did it. I already did it. Well, you're going to rank a bunch of films above a film that I consider perfect. So. I know. I know. So uh, let's continue, shall we? What's your number four? Number four for me is Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Um, and... Well, that always stood out as the best one to me, and that's usually the consensus of the the prequel trilogy. Mm. But I'm I've really grown to enjoy 
Attack of the Clones over the years. So it's really neck and neck between those two. Mm. The thing that actually puts I, Revenge I, I'll of the Sith... I'll say they're, they're basically the same movie to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing that puts Revenge of the Sith over the top for me uh-huh. is the Ian McDermott scenes. <laughs> those scenes are great. I mean, obviously, he gets the most to do great, in Revenge of the Sith. He's graded all three of the prequels. Let's just make that yeah. clear. But but he gets he gets the show stopping scenes in Revenge of the Sith. The the scene where he like tips Anakin is so so great. Where he's talking to Anakin about about bringing people back from the dead. Yeah, the opera. That's 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 it's one perfect. of the best scenes in the whole saga. It's great. We have the story of Darth Darth Plagueis the Wise. Hmm. It's great stuff. And Ian McDermott is just so, so perfect. Yeah, what did you, we, we didn't even really talk about him in Rise of Skywalker, but I, 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 I kind of felt like he... You did. Well, I, I thought he looked bad, but we did talk we about should his have, We should have mentioned the fact that we wanted him to return as a senator. <laughs> yeah, that's how they should have set this, uh, the new trilogy up. <laughs> but anyway. Senator Galpatine. <laughs> <laughs> That's Revenge of the Sith. Uh, this is probably going to be my most blasphemous choice, but yeah, I've got to go with my heart, Hugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number four is a film called Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I feel like is the it, the consensus best Star Wars movie. I think that's a uh, indeed. And um, you know what? Empire Strikes Back is great. Um, uh, I don't really know what to say besides that, but. I feel like I don't really have the same emotional attachment as I do to the other Star Wars films, to be honest. <laughs> Even if I will concede that it's better than The Phantom Menace and A New Hope and The Last Jedi. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's so hard for me to rank these movies, to be honest. And even, even if I go back and think about it, like I'm like, I just don't have the same enthusiasm for it as I guess. But I think it is, it's a great film, just to be clear. Yeah. And everything about it is like, pretty much exactly what it needs to be. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's obviously way better directed than Star Wars is. Mm. Uh, just because, I mean, Irvin Kershaw is not a great director, but, you know, he's much more competent than Lucas is at, at least at this portion of his career, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that really, it really helps. Before he got that. good in time for the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, before he got good after The Phantom Menace, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just feel like... Um, Shut up. I just feel like the the fact of his competence match matched with like obviously Lucas had total control over everything else in the movie, right? Yeah. So I feel like Lucas's obsessions work well in accordance with that competence. And I think that's why people like this film so much, you know? Um, and then it reigns his like deranged passions in a bit. And um, apparently I mean the story goes that, that he shot it in a certain way that would Align more to his vision than Lucas's in the editing suite, if that makes mm. sense. Like he, he wasn't just getting all the coverage so that Lucas yeah, yeah. could change things up a lot. Yeah. Whereas uh, I, I don't think know Richard Mark one was maybe less dominant mm. in that regard. I think there's this, I think Return of the Jedi is a similar quality, but Return of yeah. the Jedi, I don't know. We we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but uh, I think that I really like the bits with with you know, on Dagobah. I mean Cloud City. And in Hoth, uh, but I think the, the so all the film. No, well, I, I think the. I mean, I like the chase scene where they go into the the creature's mouth, but that so part. Film. Film, let me finish. That part kind of feels like Patty to me. The rest of it's great. 
That's good padding. I like that padding. That is, it is good padding, but it, it's, it's really funny. It's a great sequence. Actually, that's probably my favorite bit of the film. Really? Mm. Yeah. I like, I like Yoda. I like Yoda too, except like, I like the, the early Muppet Yoda yeah. more so than the serious Yoda. Yeah, I do too. I wish he just stayed that way the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why that's why I like the that's probably probably the highlight of the movie for me is the first bits of Dagobah where Yoda's yeah. basically just like trolling him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is really good. Uh, so anyway, okay, that's Empire Strikes Back. What's your number uh, four or three? Just on Empire there? quickly, you know one funny thing um, that maybe I should have known, but I didn't really, or I'd forgotten. That they hadn't secured Harrison Ford for yeah, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I I, I knew that like when I was a child. <laughs> so that's why they freeze him at the end. He was supposed to die, I think. So he's supposed to die, but I never I never realized until I just watched it again now that that Lando was like set up to be like a one to one replacement, including wearing his clothes at the end of the, <laughs> the end of the film. Yeah, I guess I guess I didn't really realize that either. I don't know if that was necessarily the intention, but that's knowing that backstory. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I agree with you. Anyway, that's Empire. Uh, So my number four, I already said that, didn't I? Is it your number four? Yeah, it's your number three. Your number number three. three. My number three is Return of the Jedi. Mm. This is becoming predictable. It is. Yours is much more standard than mine is. (laughs) Yeah. But I I'm wanted that- to change. I wanted to like enmesh <laughs> the original trilogy and the prequels a bit more. You should have. You should have. You coward. But I couldn't. I couldn't quite. You coward. Jettison my childhood. <laughs> oh, whatever. Well, Hugh, I don't have that problem because guess what, bitch. The prequels, the prequels are your childhood. childhood. <laughs> um, yes. Return of the Jedi is great. Yes. Uh, I like. I really like it as a victory lap conclusion. I like the way it ends. I like everything about it. I like. I love the Ewoks. <laughs> Me too. I, I kind of want to watch uh, more than watching uh, the quarters. I want to watch those Ewoks movies. I like the whole Darth Vader Emperor confrontation stuff. Yeah. I think that's a satisfying end to that arc, and I think it's actually really satisfying if you watch it in narrative order with yeah. the prequels leading up to it. I think it actually yeah, works quite well. I agree. So, and that's one of the reasons why I don't care so much about whatever they were going to do with the sequel trilogy yeah. because I've seen the the rise and fall of the Galactic Empire over the course of six films, right, and yeah. a coherent generational narrative that tells that one story. And it's difficult for me to care overly much about the re-rise and re-fall of the Empire across a further three films with some other random people. I mean, just to be clear, I would have... I would... I, if... George Lucas should have made the, the sequel show. If George Lucas did it, yeah, all is forgiven. Bring it on. <laughs> I, 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 you know, doing a little bit of research, not for this episode, but after I watched Rise of Skywalker, the wording that he had at one point considered directing the, the first sequel in 2015 really made me die a little bit inside. Because mm. <laughs> think about how great that would fit. I know. That's the thing. So on the prequels, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll, there's more prequel love in store. Judging by your list, even yep. though I've gone through them all on mine, the the thing that people kept criticizing Lucas for doing with the prequels is overdoing it with the CGI and what and the visual stuff. Basically, what they used to say is that the reason the old trilogy is good 
is because of the practical effects. They were limited mm. in what they could do, so it kind of reined in Lucas <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. He had to be more creative and ingenious. And then when technology caught up and he was able to do what he wanted to do and express himself, then we got the mess of the prequels and it was all horrible. And I used to think that way for some time, right? Used mm. to be like, these look ugly and horrible, I hate CGI. But now I'm the complete opposite, as I'm sure you are too, <laughs> where it's like I want like I want to see what George Lucas would do with 2019 technology, with 2020 technology. Go completely nuts. I feel like he make the same argument for the prequels too, that he had a ton of little intentions regarding the CGI that he, he made. You know what I mean? Well, that's true. Yeah, it was groundbreaking for, for the time, for 1999 in particular. But if, if he had gotten what he wanted, like, I mean, he was like the first person to shoot a movie entirely on green screens, for instance, with the Attack of the Clones. So that's like a really groundbreaking thing to do, you know? I mean, the thing with Lucas, what he always tries to do, and I think what he was disappointed by in the new trilogy, is that he's always at the vanguard of new technology. Yeah. So the point of Star Wars is to push new technology yes. and to use that new technology to show something new, which yeah. is what he always tried to do, which is why the prequels look so different than the original trilogy, yeah. which I think is a good thing. Me too. Because it means that we have, we still have the original trilogy. It didn't go away, I mean, even if he tried to ruin of, it. It kind of went away a little bit. <laughs> he tried to ruin it, let's be fair. But, like, it's still there. Like, yeah. it still happened. And then we have all this new stuff that he offered us with the prequels. I think that's that's good that we have a diversity of his vision in a way. Yeah, I agree. Have you heard the like completely insane things that he wanted to do with the, the sequels? Not really. I only know that the Kylo Ren stuff is kind of similar to stuff that he had thought of. And so, so is the Rey character too. Actually, a lot of the if you if you read about the purported story treatments that he gave to Luke, to to Disney when he sold the sold the company. A lot of it, like, sort of tracks onto the basics of what he wanted to do. Like, there was, like, a young character who was, like... Or, like, like there was characters that are roughly uh, analogous to Ray and, and Finn. Um, I remember something about he was doubling down on the midi-chlorian stuff yeah. and exploring things called the Wills, which was, <laughs> yes. like, that dates back to his early ideas for the original trilogy. Yeah, like, the original draft of, of A New Hope. Triumph of the Wills. <laughs> <laughs> which would have been... Great. I, w- I want to see all that shit. Uh, but we never will. Hopefully his story treatments get released at some point. Yeah. Um, but I doubt they will. Um, and also, like, uh, Luke being, like, a... I think it, in the treatments it's described as, like, Cor- Colonel Kurtz-esque figure. Yes. Uh, that was, That's right, yeah. Was him. Um, so, obviously, they, they used it to some degree. And that is one of the better ideas of the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, okay, so shall we uh, go on to my number three? Your number three. Uh, which is the uh, aforementioned Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Uh, which is just a, a divine film, I think. <laughs> uh, there's this single thing I just talk about it, I think. Um, it's great. It's great. I think that everything that people dislike about it is just stuff that I like. I mean, uh, this is, you know, if people like any of the prequel films, it's this one, right? Yes. Because it is, like, the most, like, straightforwardly satisfying, you know? Uh, And I think it hits this, like, tone of, like, high operatic tragedy that really works, you know? Yeah, the the Uh, operatic feel of the prequels in particular, I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, It sells every silly story idea. It does. Um, and I think the, the fight with, uh, 
Oh, we wanted Anakin, though it's kind of mocked is great. <laughs> and I love it. It is great. What's your number two? My number two is can you guess it? Can you guess? Uh, I can. It's gonna be a new hope. <laughs> nope, it's Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Funny. Interesting. So this is something that, that changed as a direct result of my mm. rewatch of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Which was less enjoyable than rewatching the prequels. <laughs> just be, because of relative because, familiarity. Because, I because guess. the prequels are better films. You and possibly just... because the prequels are better. <laughs> you just gotta you, you gotta keep on rewatching them until you come to see things my way. <laughs> I will I will entertain that possibility. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back is really good. It's my second favourite, so yep. there you go. Um, shall I reveal my second favorite? Please. It is the Star Wars film, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. <laughs> um, which, uh, I feel like, you know what, uh, I'm not someone who has a lot of nostalgia for my past, but in this case, I, my top two are the films that I had the most nostalgia for, by far. Uh, which are Return of the Jedi, which, uh, as a kid was definitely my favorite one until my number one choice came out. <laughs> And then, what could that uh, be? Uh, I don't know. What what film haven't I talked about at all? Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, this film basically doesn't have anything wrong with it at all, <laughs> and that's all I'll say. Mm. And I just feel like uh, every part of it works for me on both the entertainment level and on an emotional level. Uh, and I think Mark Hamill is the best as he, as in, in any of them as he is in this movie. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as you said, I I love the Ewoks. I love the whole sequence on, on uh, Jabba's skiff. The whole opening is just amazingly done. Um, and I just... That's it. That's pretty much the whole movie right there. <laughs> and now my number one. Mm. With a caveat and a bullet. Oh, wow. Let's hear it. It is... Star Wars. Mm. What's your caveat? It's not a new hope. What? Because the the version that is my number one is my <laughs> DVD release that has a laser disc transfer of the original theatrical release, which does not have episode four, A New Hope, in the crawl. So it's just Star Wars. Mm. Um, have you ever seen the non-special editions of the original trilogy? I watched the uh, de-specialized editions, oh, okay. like the versions that were like hacked together. Yeah. Um, last yeah. time I rewatched them, so yes, but that only then. Okay. The thing that I like most about A New Hope is the the way it portrays this world using the special effects of the time. Mm. So it kind of has to be the non-special edition version for me. This is the one quibble I do have with George Lucas with the special edition stuff. I don't so much mind that he has the uh, desire to tinker with his films or whatever. Mm. I don't think he should, but he can if he wants. The problem is that he doesn't give you the alternative of having the original theatrical releases, at least in a proper transfer. Yeah. So I think the last time it was released properly was the DVD that I've got from years ago, which, as I said, is a Laserdisc transfer, not even a restored DVD version. And I find the original one really charming. And if I, I kind of, when I watched this recently, I kind of tried to put myself in the perspective of someone who had never seen Star Wars before. Mm. And this happened, right? And just to see the 
how weird that it worked and how weird that it led to all these films and how charming it is. It is very charming. I was never that fond of C-3PO and R2-D2, right? They get kind of annoying after a while. I, I, I like C-3PO specifically because he is a robot that is designed to be annoying. <laughs> but you kind of forget how great they are as an introduction to this world yeah. in A New Hope. Yeah. And how great the character of R2-D2 is if you imagine seeing him for the first time and how well that works mm. and how weird it is. Like, I know it's borrowing from Hidden Fortress. Yeah. But how weird it is that you're following these, like, weird... Robots, yeah. Effeminate robots. <laughs> yeah, for, like, a significant portion of the film at first. I just found it charming all the way and it hit all the beats and everything about it, I was like, wow, that just works so well. And I think the characters... Although I, I do agree that Mark Hamill improves over the trilogy. I like mm. him in this. Yeah, I agree. But I think Carrie Fisher and uh, Harrison Ford are the best in this than they are in the other films. I agree. Certainly Harrison Ford gets Yeah, he checks out more and more. <laughs> he starts to speak. I mean, he, it, 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 it's a problem the whole way through, but sometimes he delivers his lines like he's an actor in one of those learn-to-speak-English educational <laughs> videos. Yeah, it just seems like he wants to get through them as quickly as possible. Well, the way he weirdly, like, over-enunciates mm, everything. Yeah. Um, and he has a proper arc in the first film, right? Yes. And I think I think Carrie Fisher is great in it. Mm. And that it subverts the expected princess trope without yeah. making her, like, unrealistically powerful or anything. No, definitely not. So I think that's, that's handled well. Um, and I also like, I mean, this is a side note, but it kind of seems like she's, like, racist or speciesist against <laughs> non-humans and maybe even non-white humans as well mm. but like she's very dismissive of Chewbacca mm. and then famously when they get to the throne room scene as everyone knows he's denied a medal even though he gets it in Rise of Skywalker oh that part was so stupid but also like the whole Rebel Alliance is so like Lily White that it yeah. it kind of makes her seem like a racist the whole way through. Which is it's funny. just too it's two Nazis uh you know, against each other. And the way they did the trench run, so good. Yeah, good stuff. I used to think it was boring after a while, like rewatching it, but I I really dug it this time. I think for me, uh the fact that it's so contained to itself. Um, I mean, I don't know. I always grew up with Star Wars as like this universe that you got into, right? Hmm. And I think that's that's one of the reasons it doesn't. I mean, obviously, I love it, but it doesn't have the same appeal to me as maybe to you. This is this this relates to another complaint about the prequels that people always dredge up, mm. which is that the reason the original trilogy is so effective is the suggestion of a larger world. Mm. The fact that everything's not pristine, that there's a history built into every prop, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a periphery of this larger world. Like, what else is in Mos Eisley? What's the story with that bounty hunter in the corner or whatever? You get that whole suggestion. And people would then say, when you actually go back and, and make it in the prequels, it's less satisfying. It's more satisfying as a suggestion of an yeah. overarching narrative or whatever. Which I don't agree with, but... <laughs> I don't either. As, uh, with these prequels, I don't agree with because the prequels are great. Yeah. <laughs> They're perfect. They're perfect films. And I really do think it complements the other films well. Yeah. I don't know how well it would play to somebody who's never seen them and watches them in narrative order. Yeah. But for us who've already like come to grips with both of these trilogies, it works really well together, I think. 
Yeah, I agree. And even like the gleaming CGI futurism of the prequels works. Yeah, it works as a contrast to... The Republic was totally destroyed yeah. and or became the Empire. Yeah. And the Empire's in control. They've got pristine battleships and everything else is like this decimated husk. Yeah, and I, I like that, you know, the implied history of uh, the original trilogy is present in the prequels, you know? But also, like, the prequels seem like a really giant universe. Like, they yeah, have the true. same good quality. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's just a bunch of people. I mean, on no, like, if team. you look at, look at the, like, the Senate Caesar, there's just, like, millions of these dumb, gloopy aliens. <laughs> I love, like, I love the Coruscant scene so much. Mm, me too. Even from, the, even from the Phantom Menace, it looks great, especially in yeah. daylight. Yeah. And it's like he's, like, turned every slider up to ten. He's like, <laughs> more, more vehicles, more cars. And there's this amazing shot. I think it's Phantom Menace. Uh-huh. It's like them standing before uh, a Coruscant sunset. Mm. And it's, like, bright orange. Uh-huh. And you get, like, the silhouettes of all the vehicles. And it basically looks like a cartoon <laughs> yeah. or a painting. Like, uh-huh. it does not look photorealistic at all, but it looks amazing. I mean, that, but his, like, usage of CGI is, like, pretty stylized. It's not, like, it's not, I mean, it is obviously going for a sort of realism, but there's a stylization there, too. This was the most extreme, I mean, yeah. even in the context of the prequels. Yeah. But I, I really love, like, the prequels are just such a joy, just watching the design decisions that he's made for everything. I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. What is your number one? Uh, my number one is the best Star Wars movie, and I would say probably, I would say like a top five of all time movie for me, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, which uh, I, I want to point out is what many people would refer to as the worst Star Wars movie. Mm. Um, but I just think it is satisfying on every level. <laughs> I'm glad one of us had the courage to put that as number one. <laughs> it's me. Um, you know, this is the film when I was a kid. Well, other, other, you know, Star Wars fans talk about watching the original trilogy over and over again. Attack of the closest movie I watched over and over again. Mm. If I had to guess, it's probably the movie I've seen the most. Uh, so maybe that plays to some degree why I like it so much. Um, but I just enjoy the design of everything, the, the world that it creates. I love the Coruscant scenes at the beginning. I just think that it's just such a satisfying film. Mm. And I, I have nothing but positive things that I think about it. Um, and everything about it that uh, people dislike, I think, uh, sort of justified by, you know, Lucas's, like, operatic tone, as we talked about. So even yeah. if some of the dialogue is, like, silly and... and I mean, that's how... All, all, every Star Wars movie has silly dialogue to some extent, you know? Yes. And I think Hayden Christensen is as good as Anakin. <laughs> I mean... I think that he is, I don't know how good of an actor he is, but who cares, really? I think that his physical presence is perfect for the character. Yeah, so I think with the prequels and with the original trilogy to some extent, there's always a problem with line readings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what Lucas as a director is worst at getting from his from his cast, I think. Yes, and also bad at writing dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely Because, true. you know, remember, we're watching the version that we ended up seeing that has been presumably rewritten by, like, Elaine May or whatever. <laughs> hey, Tom Sauron's supposed to do rewrites on Revenge of the Sith, right? <laughs> Elaine May, I think, worked on Attack of the Clones. Did you, did you really? I think so. Or, like, it's a rumour. If it's not true. 
Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I really don't see anything like that. Maybe it's a scoop that not many people know about. Um, anyway, let's talk about. Let's keep on talking about it. Attack of the Clones. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Hayden Christensen, great. Everything about us about the movie is great. I even like the dumb part where they go into the droid factory. Me too. Because it's so it's so like dumb slapstick garbage. Uh, I really love the scene where Obi Wan goes to Komodo too. I just, I just, uh, when I think about like the flaws of Attack of the Clones, like I just can't think of anything. So that's why it's on your one. <laughs> I used to really not like the the end of the film, like the stuff in the the gladiatorial arena and all that sort of stuff. When I warmed on it, I kind of rationalized that as him finally honoring. Yeah, John Carter. Not, I mean, like a lot of yeah, a lot of those sort of serials, particularly like Flash yeah. Gordon and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does feel like a. I mean, and the fact that you know, um, Padme's like wearing sort of a revealing costume is kind of yeah, John Carterish too. And then it leads to the the big battle with the clones and stuff that looks yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got that great sequence of like all the smoke and fog of war and this the the clones walking through and all these laser bolts yeah. multicolored laser bolts it's just like these billions of like cgi characters just like rushing at each other <laughs> that's beauty in cinema right there and i like all the designs of the aliens too like all the random like trade, trade federation guys are great like not the not the racist ones i mean they, they have good design too but <laughs> it's racist but i mean like all the random like other like members of their of their uh, separatist movement and I also just really enjoy, I mean, I, I you know, um, obviously Star Wars had, like, some political aims that I don't know how well realized they are, right? I mean, the mm. original trilogy. But I do think Lucas's commentary on, like, the rise of fascism is a lot more astute than anything that's in the original trilogy. <laughs> I really like the music in this movie, too. Which, uh, I mean, obviously all the music in Star Wars is good for all six of the movies. Uh, even if the movie, the music for the... Uh, sequel trilogy is probably the worst part about them because <laughs> it's very forgettable. What about Ray's things? I, I listened to it again and I, I still can't. I still don't know what it is. So, sorry. Me either. Ian McDermott is great in all three of the prequels. Maybe we should talk about him some more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, his, his uh, high point is uh, Revenge of the Sith, but I think he's good in all three of them. <sighs> They're, uh, Lucas really lucked into casting him in a. Uh, and for Return of the Jedi. He knows the right tone. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous, but uh, serious, you know? Like, he's not, like, he's not, like, laughing at himself. Or he no. doesn't feel like... He doesn't... He, um, and this is something I like about the prequels, too, is none of the, none of the actors feel like they're above it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which is what the, something I kind of dislike about Harrison Ford in uh, Return of the Jedi and in Empire. Well, the, I think the thing that the both trilogies show is the value of using... British thespians <laughs> in true. something like this. That's true. Because Ian McDermott's from the stage. Alec Guinness is from the stage. And you can't really fault anything that they do in these films. They no. really, they carry a lot of weight. I mean, yeah, even, even uh, obviously Alec Guinness sort of hated Star Wars. So No, but he liked it going in. Yeah, and he was professional enough that he was willing to, you know. He's good in, he's good in the uh, other two um, original trilogy films too. Yeah. Like if you there's a, there's a good interview with him where he talks about why he did the original Star Wars film. Yeah. And he says like he read the script and he thought the dialogue was terrible. 
<laughs> which is which but is he found favorite. himself continuing to read and being interested in what happens next and yeah. he liked working with lucas and yeah he got a good financial deal out of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean you you could say that about lucas he was very kind to the people who are in the original trilogy <laughs> Like, Mark Hamill, like, got points off of, like, anything that happens with Star Wars, basically. I, I heard that, so. Well, so does Alec Guinness. It was, like, yeah. two, two and a half residuals or something. I mean, that must be so much money. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Because Alec Guinness actually, like, rewrote a lot of the lines. <laughs> uh, imagine if uh, uh, if uh, Lucas had gotten what he wanted and uh, cast... Tashiro Mifune. Tashiro Mifune. Tashiro Mifune and otherwise an all-African-American cast, like it should have been. That's the real Star Wars. Lucas ruined my childhood, but not by not fulfilling that dream. Everything in the original in the original trilogy is like different than what he wanted, pretty much. Yeah, and it was all like more progressive than what what ended up being on the screen because it's yeah, kind of Mifune, you know that's the problem with making blockbusters, right? All African American cast. There was a long stretch where Luke was a woman. <laughs> Uh, that boy. survived a long time and then it changed well i mean that's that's presumably what he was going to do with ray or the ray ish yeah. character and the yeah. sequels that he had set up so <sighs> i would love to read that like the original like script bible that he made that was like you know like 700 pages long or whatever yeah i mean the the closest you can get is that book which is really good mm. which goes through every single version and synopsizes them wasn't there a comic book that got released that was kind of like an adaptation of one of the uh, earlier yeah. versions of the script? Yeah, yeah, they've done that a few times. I heard that was bad. But like some... <laughs> seems like a nutcase. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> obviously, obviously Jordan Torchwick is completely insane. That's what, makes him, <laughs> that's what makes him lovable, right? That's why I, I appreciate our New Hope all the more. Just the fact that, that it worked so well. It's so weird. Yeah, just, despite it's like... The, the completely uh, insane creator. Yeah. <laughs> God, Lucas is, does seem like such a crazy, like, mad man. And it's also like he's not the best director. No. He's a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is he good at doing? I guess he's just good at, like, conceptualizing things, right? He's good at making arcs and, you know, that sort of... Uh... He's good at getting a good team behind him. Yeah, that's true. And which is kind of like the... So in that sense, he is a good director. Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously he's making good decisions in order to get the team to do their best work and everything. And he's ma- and he's choosing between the designs, and so it does reflect his vision. So he's definitely got something there. Like, the, the sound design is always really great, and that's a huge, huge part of it, about why they work so well. Like, whatever's not there on the screen is supplied by Ben Burt's amazing sound design. And he stayed, he stayed with the whole at least prequel and original trilogy run mm. and also became an editor. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he had editing experience before that, but he, he's one of the editors on a lot of the star Wars films as well. Mm-hmm. One area I think in particular that he really shines is the pod racing sequence. The sound design on that is so good. It gives so much weight and momentum to the vehicles, which the, the visual effects work is amazing too. Yeah. But I think the combination of those two things really, really sell that sequence. Yeah. And that really scene. stood out to me last night. I need to rewatch the prequels. <laughs> I haven't seen them in such a long time. <laughs> Man, you got to get on that. Yeah, I know. As soon as I... Why would I've... you re- rewatch The Last Jedi instead of the prequels? Well, because my girlfriend wanted to watch it. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, the prequels are great. 
Have you converted anyone else? <laughs> no. I don't even think I've converted you. No, because I turned around. I was already turned around. When did you turn around? It's a good question. I feel like it was... Okay, I guess I was listening to the podcast Blank Check, right? And so I guess this is about... This is about... I guess it was like... Maybe like right after The Last Jedi came out, okay? Oh, okay. And I went through all the episodes, and then I was listening, because originally that they started as a podcast that were talking about the, the prequels and wh- where they went wrong, right? Yeah. And there's something about their relentless negativity. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I kind of disagree with all of this. <laughs> and then that sort of set me down the path to be like, you know, when I think about it, Attack of the Clones is great. <laughs> and that's that's where it came from. And I feel like I watched them at some point. I can't remember... I'm trying to remember when the last time we watched. I definitely, I've definitely watched them as an adult, mm. um, but I don't really remember that well. So I don't know. I, I so I I I I turned around on them a while ago now, fairly recently, but a while ago. I probably went all the way around between like 2014 and 2016, mm-hmm. maybe. Oh. I obviously softened because I made the decision to purchase the Blu-ray. Of the whole saga, just to watch the prequels again, for no other the reason. only uh, pre the only uh, Star Wars movies I own physically, because the, the I already had the original trilogy like non special versions, so I didn't want the special editions on Blu Ray or anything. Yeah, I yeah, only yeah. bought the whole collection to get access to the prequels and rewatch them, and I really enjoyed rewatching them when I did. I like these are great. <laughs> So that's when I came around. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I softened or what the trajectory was leading up to that. But I definitely did that, and I watched them one Christmas and had a great time on my own. Mm. They are great films. Prequel truthers. It looks like I watched uh, all three of the prequels in 2017. So mm. that was when I guess, I guess that's when I might started to turn around on them. And basically every time I've watched them since, which I think is only a couple of times since then. They've only improved. They've only improved, yeah. Yeah. Eventually, they'll be your favorite movies of all time. Yep. The only movies. This will be a strict prequel-only podcast. <laughs> we didn't acknowledge the original trilogy. No. We... I, do think, I do think the prequels make me like the original trilogy more, honestly. Hmm. <laughs> um, and then I feel like there's a richness to the history that Lucas makes that makes me enjoy what he's doing in the original trilogy more like makes it more weighty to me to some degree uh i do love to see where, where c3po and r2d do to get their mind uh minds wiped it's so funny <laughs> do they wipe r2d2 or or is it just i, I guess it's just c3po okay so why isn't r2d2 like telling everyone about what yeah. he knows because he obviously could talk to humans <laughs> Uh, I gotta say, watching uh, Rise of Skywalker really made me hate the... I, mean, I enjoy the original trilogy, but I hate uh, any time like, Chewbacca or R2-D2 talks to someone and they're like, respond to it in human language. Hmm. <laughs> it's really annoyingly done in, in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, I think. It was like a funny joke, you know, the first couple of times you do it, but after a while it's just like, okay, I got it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't particularly like Chewbacca, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, he's okay. It's kind of the same with the droids. When you first see them, like in A New Hope, it's great seeing yep. Chewbacca. It's great seeing C-3PO. 
and yeah. uh, and R2-D2, but then they tag along for the whole saga. It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, right, I, I get enjoy it. it. You do one thing. <laughs> At least C-3PO gets like to do more because like, he's yeah, just he's constantly got some jokes. <laughs> And I like and, Anthony Daniels is great. So yeah, And the Ewok scene is, the Ewok, uh, scene is great. Hmm? The Ewok scene with C-3PO is great. You're cutting out a little bit. The Ewok plot line with C-3PO is amazing. I can only, it's like it's like a weird <laughs> Star Wars language message. <laughs> uh, Did you well, say you the Ewok should tag along for the whole trilogy? For the whole saga? <laughs> no, yes, I agree. Should. Wicked should just be <laughs> no, no, where no. Chewbacca is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should be. Um, but no, the Ewoks, the Ewok scene with C-3PO is great. It's not going to let me hear what you're saying. <laughs> Really? Jesus yeah. Christ. I get basically the Ewok. Uh, uh. <laughs> C3PO. Nope. Good. What is going <laughs> so on? <I> just get... <laughs> Say that again. Try now. Are you fucking with me? No, I'm serious. No, I'm not going to do it. No, try now. You'll listen to it. You'll listen to it. You edit. <sighs> but what if okay. I want to respond to it? Okay. The C3PO and the e- where he becomes the god of the Ewoks is great. <laughs> Where C-3PO is the god with the Ewoks, is that what you said? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, that is great. Good stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, I think that's. I think we've exhausted our love for Star Wars. Do we do the con- combined ranking, actually? Uh, yeah. That might be interesting. Sure. All right, so our combined consensus with four points. Number one, the worst film, the worst Star Wars film is Rogue One. Number 11. Okay. Number 11. Uh, then the our number or number ten with four points is Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Number nine with seven points is Solo: A Star Wars Story. Mm-hmm. Our number eight with nine points is The Force Awakens. So no surprises so far. No. Our number seven with ten points is The Last Jedi. Mm, yeah. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> Our number... Um, what number am I on? Six? Six. Our number six with 12 points. Probably not a surprise because this this, we gave this one the same ranking. Mm-hmm. Which is the fan of Venice. Yep. All right, number five mm-hmm. with 16 points is A New Hope. Wow, number five. Yep. Uh, number four with 17 points is Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and number two... Is it... What? Number three. Number two and number three are okay. a tie okay. between Attack of the Clones and yeah. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and our consensus choice for the best Star Wars film of all time is Return of the Jedi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a list I, I think that neither of us are particularly happy with. I think I got everything I wanted. Uh, I should have put. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I put Phantom Menace over a new hope. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's it. All right, now it's time to conclude the search for Bello. And we should also talk about what we're going to do the next episode. We also explain what the search for Bello is. <laughs> so, Who's Bello? <laughs> Who is Bello? You go ahead. You should put some. You should put some audio of that. Jamie Kennedy interview it right now. Uh, I have a new movie coming out. It is called Ad Astra, but I got cut. Snip. Bleh.
So, uh, <laughs> so I'm a little bummed. <laughs> there's there's a movie. There's a movie that I loved that he was nonplussed by, called Ad Astra. It was my favorite movie of last year. Uh, and it was not your favorite movie of last year. Was it your uh, favorite movie of last year? Was it number yeah, one? Yeah, it's a number one. Okay. So, Ad Astra, uh, yes. Ad Astra. Yeah, there was uh, scenes that were supposed to be shot with Jamie Kennedy. We discovered this during the recording of our episode where we were scrolling through Wikipedia and we saw his name listed in the credits. Yeah. And both of us were like, I don't remember Jamie Kennedy being in this <laughs> film. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. He's not on IMDb. So no. you hunted down some talk show where he talked about getting cut out of the movie, basically. It was right? his own video blog mm. podcast thing. Uh, and so, loving Ad Astra as I do, uh, my parents got it for me for Christmas on the special 4K Blu-ray, which, unlike a lot of like modern-day sort of quick Blu-ray releases, has a bunch of special features, including commentary by James Gray and a bunch of making-up features, and also very pertinent to our interests. Uh, some deleted scenes. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, Hewitt, this is what you've been waiting for, right? The, the yes. culmination of your, your six-month-long quest to know about the search for Bellow, okay? Yeah. So, I think we should, uh, uh, I'm gonna say that he is not in any of the deleted scenes that are on <laughs> Are you there. kidding me? <laughs> I'm not. There are two deleted scenes, one um, that is with Donald Sutherland and Brad Pitt, and they talk about the fact that Donald Sutherland had a heart attack, and then there's mm-hmm. another one with, with Tyler, and that's it. <laughs> oh my god. So the search for Bella lives on. <laughs> what do you reckon the chances are of, of there being a future release that has more deleted scenes? Uh, probably four? nil. Probably four. <laughs> Because James feel... seems like he's pretty pretty involved with this release, right? Doing a like commentary and shit. Yeah. Does so. he have, does he mention <laughs> does he <laughs> Jamie Kennedy? I mean, when I listen to the commentary track, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> It'd be great if he was just like, so uh in every scene is just like so in this scene, uh, we really thought about using the character of Bello, <laughs> Brad Pitt's number number two character who was a, originally a central part of the, the film. <laughs> Because, like, Jamie Kennedy does mention his hopes that he'll appear on the DVD <laughs> in this video. <laughs> Look for the DVD extras, hopefully. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that those, those hopes are thwarted. But there is, there's obviously more deleted scenes in this movie because there's stuff that was in the trailer that still hasn't seen the light of day. Mm. Um, but, honestly, the film as it is is original enough. All right, so that's, that's the search for Bellow. <laughs> Uh, another disappointment. Well, it just means the search continues. Yeah, the search It's never going to end. This is like this is like how every TV show you think that you're going to tune in for a cliff, the resolution of a cliffhanger, but they just continue the plot instead of making it resolved. So, uh, but if, he, if we have to make a pack right now, if any of us for any reason ever encounters James Gray or uh, Jamie will. Kennedy. Or Jimmy Kennedy. Well, I, mean, I don't care. I mean, we have Jimmy Kennedy's side of the story, right? Yeah, I guess so. so that's if what, we encounter James Gray, we ask him about it. We, we ask him about Bello. I make yeah, that We pact. agree. Yeah. Um, so, all right, that's about it. Uh, what do you want to do next, next episode? Can I suggest something? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're going to do the continuation of our least love project. 
So we just need a main feature. But what what we should do for the main feature, you ask? Uh, it should be Little Women, which I'm going to go see this weekend anyway. I, yeah, I saw it um, two days ago, so I'm happy to do that. Yeah, perfect. Great, so that's it. Oh, friend. Oh.